Uh, I don't know about you, in my relatively short life, uh, I've had uh, a number of different jobs, some of them good, some of them not so good. I actually had to write all of them down because it's been that many. Um, I have been a paper boy, car wash attendant, lawnmower, drywaller, waiter, umpire, pizza delivery guy, sandwich delivery guy, uh, poured concrete, commercial, cri- uh, cr- commercial Christmas light hanger, seat belt use surveyor, that's real, professional lab rat, bartender, and now pastor. And uh, I've spent a lot of time at a lot of different jobs. And if you are like the average person, uh, if you live to be the average age and you work the average amount uh, in your lifetime, you're going to work about 150,000 hours. 150,000. It's roughly about 40% of your life. Right? No matter what field you're in, if you work you know, for a large company during the week, if you're a nurse who works overnights, um, if you work um, uh, during the week or weekend, whether you're self-employed, government-employed, where you work from home or work is your home, work is a huge deal, huge part of our lives. Um, and I want to talk about this morning uh, because I think we're not really sure what to do with work, how to feel about it. Um, it polls continually show that most people, uh, as many as two-thirds of people, would take a different job if they felt like they could. If they knew they could get it, they'd take it. Um, I think those in my generation, so my age and younger, uh, especially are a little bit confused when it comes to, to work. Because like I was as a young man, uh, we jump from job to job to job uh, more than any other generation before us. Uh, most people don't enjoy their jobs a lot. Every now and then I'll meet somebody who loves their job. Uh, but most of the time that's not the case. So at the very least, I think um, it's something, something worth talking about because we're not sure what to do with it. Um, and I, I, for one, is, is hard. There's no way around it. Work is hard. Ecclesiastes 3.9. This is what the author writes. He says, What do people really get for all their hard work? What do people really get for all their hard work? Thousands of years later, we're asking the same question. Right? What do I get? Is it a bigger house? Nicer car? Right? The newest iPhone? Is it just surviving? Paying the bills? Keeping our head above water? Uh, is that all? Right, we're asking the same question, right? If 40% of my life is going to be spent on the job, um, what's the point? What do I get from all this? Uh, so that's what I want to talk about this morning. And, and in this series, right, the series is called, uh, there's an app for that. And if this message, if this subject was like an app, right, it, it, wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be like Wonderlist, you know, like a task management app, where it's like, this is exactly what you need to do. Uh, and it wouldn't be like Google Maps app, you know, that says this is exactly where you need to go and this is how you get there. Um, if anything, if this is like an app, it's more like a, like a filter for a photo, right? And so I'm guessing a lot of us use Instagram uh, if you have a smartphone, um, and you can use filters and make your life look a lot more interesting and cool than it actually is, right? Guilty. Um, one of the cool things about uh, something like Instagram is, is it changes the way that you see things. And you can actually take a photo, say, of, of, um, of this floor. And when you put a filter on it, something that's wood and finished, it actually can see the grains of the wood, uh, more than you can with the naked eye. It changes the way that we see things. And so that's, that's kind of what this message, message is. And just so you know, uh, normally I, I tend to be more to, of a narrative type teacher, speaker. Um, I, I, I try to like really take one big idea and walk 360 degrees around that. This morning I'm going to throw a few ideas at you just to warn you. Um, I think you can handle it, but I want to do this subject justice because it's so important. It's such a huge part of our lives. And honestly, until I started studying for this, I had never heard a sermon on this. And it's so huge. So, that's where we're going. What do we do with this work thing? Um, if you've ever had a job that you hated, maybe you're in that job right now, 
Um, I know it can feel like work is God's punishment. You know what I mean? Like God is punishing you. He probably doesn't like you because uh, you have to work this job. Um, I guarantee you, I promise you, uh, that's not the case. But in Christianity, sometimes it's actually not all that uncommon to actually understand work and think that work is because of sin, right? Oh, but Aaron, doesn't it say in Genesis, right, that after Adam and Eve disobeyed God, that God said, cursed is the ground now because of you, and you're going to have to work it for your life by the, spread of the sweat of your brow and eat through painful toil. Um, it does say that, but we got, we got to we got to just land on something and begin somewhere. And that is, we got to realize that, that Adam and Eve, God gave work to Adam and Eve long before they ever disobeyed him. This is what it says in the Genesis chapter 2. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to what? He put him there to work it and to take care of it. All right, let's just sit on this for a moment, okay? This is all things created and working exactly as they were created to work. This is paradise. Paradise. This is everything is as it's meant to be, and in this place, prior to sin, right? Adam and Eve are given work to do, right? And I don't want to spoil eternity for you, but but in eternity, you're going to have work to do, right? It's not just like a never-ending sing-along, right? One forever kumbaya session around the campfire. Uh, it's not. I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful that it's not. Um, Right, I can sing of your love forever, like 10 minutes later. I never want to sing that song ever again. Um, I don't know about forever. But that's not what it is. You're actually going to be given work. You're actually be given work to do. Uh, it's, it's a part of who you are. It's part of your creative makeup. Um, it's actually a reflection of the image of God in you when you work. Um, it tells us that God worked and works all the time. And we're created. So in, in eternity, you're going to have work to do. Right? The difference is it's going to be meaningful work. Right? It's going to be fulfilling work. Right? In, in eternity, there's no, there's no bad bosses, you know? Uh, amen to that, right? There's no malfunctioning uh, equipment. You know, there's no TPS reports. <laughs> uh, there's no self-employment taxes. Praise Jesus, right? There's none of that. Uh, you will have work. And so sin, all that to say, right, work is not a result of sin. But as a result of sin, what, what has happened is work is a lot harder. All right? It's a lot more difficult. Um, it's a lot more disappointing. It can be a lot more uh, demeaning. Um, it's, it's, really, it's really hard. But we don't work because of sin. Right? And it's so important we start here. Because if you, if you think that sin, or I'm sorry, that work is inherently evil or bad, for the rest of your life, maybe you're going to avoid work, minimize your work, um, just detest your job and what you do for work. And in the process, if you do that, you're going to miss. You're going to miss God's purpose for you in your work. Uh, and you're going to miss uh, the value of it. In 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, Paul writes something to, to some new believers. And he says something about work that ran completely countercultural to their understanding of their job and of work. And this is what it says, beginning in verse 9. Now about your love for one another. Right, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have actually been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet, we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And to make your ambition to do this, to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work, work with your hands. Mind your business, work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders is that you won't be dependent on anybody. All right, work with your hands. Now, the really smart, brainy people, 
who spend their life immersed in the world of the Bible and writing scholarly stuff that guys like me read, all of them point to the fact that when he says this, he is, Paul is essentially like slapping what they understand, like just a backhand of what was culturally understood um, in regards to work. Because the Greeks and the Romans, when it came to work, they assumed, they thought that work was by nature a degrading thing. Right? It, was, it was a bad thing, that it should be avoided at all costs. And they, they also had like a vocational hierarchy, right? Where, where, where what was great is the best work, the most important work, is if you work with your mind, right? If you can get paid for that, you do that. If you can't do that, then you're, you become an artist, right? But whatever you do, uh, don't do manual labor. D Cicero <coughs> actually said that if you get paid for manual labor— or hard toil, that that is, that is a, a very degrading thing, and no man should seek that out. He actually said the same thing about retail. Uh, and having worked previously for the buckle, I'm inclined to <laughs> agree with him. Uh, I felt very degraded. Uh, that was an awful job. That was the worst job. Definitely, that was the worst job. Right? But the Gre so the Greeks believe, man, if, if you can work with your mind, that's more godly. That's more valuable. They had a hierarchy. And this really shouldn't surprise us, because we do the same thing, right? So if you're new to church— and maybe you've spent, like I did most of my life, avoiding church. You might have some, some real feelings and opinions about guys like me, and they're not good. Right? You don't know uh, what you think about me. Maybe you don't trust me. Right? Pastors are pretty low on the totem pole right, when it comes to value. Right? In the church world, if you grew up in church, oftentimes I think we get that flipped, and we make the same mistake doing the opposite thing. Right? And we assume that surely in God's eyes, the more important work is those of us in the religious business. Right? Surely not me. I, I'm a stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad. Right? I, I own a yoga studio. I wash windows. There's no way that that's I as important in God's eyes as being a pastor right? or a priest or a nun or a monk or a missionary. Right? That's the more important stuff. Right? And if you, if you didn't grow up in church, you're not a religious person, I bet you, you have the same mentality. It's just unique to you. Maybe you think, you know what, I work at Nelnet. Right? And I do data entry, or I make phone calls all day. There's no way that my work is as, as, as important as somebody who works for a nonprofit or starts a nonprofit serving the inner city poor. Right? And, and yet, Paul comes here, and he pushes all those, all those ideas right, to the side and says, you, we can't take our cue from culture on this one. Because in the Bible, we have something very, very different. He says, work with your hands. Right? William Temple was a scholar, and he wrote a book uh, entitled Christianity and the Social Order. And he says, this is what we have in the Bible. This is what he says. He says, look at the Bible, right? The pillars, the things that have happened, that, that are recorded there. Creation, consummation, incarnation, resurrection, big religious words, right? But huge acts as far as our faith is concerned. Creation, consummation, incarnation, resurrection. What do all of these have in common? God with his hands in the dirt, Right, this is so significant. You've got to get this. Right? Eastern religion ideas are that God is elsewhere, that God is, is non-material. He's not involved in the material world, kind of like the Greek Romans. It's like more, the more godly is in here or out there. It's disconnected from real life. But in the Bible, we find a God who has his hands in the dirt. Right? In creation, God right, brings order and form to chaos. He puts his hands in the dirt and he creates where there was nothing. Right, in the incarnation, right, Jesus comes into the material world, puts his hands into the dirt of our existence, of our lives, the grime, everything. Right, in the consummation, at the end, right, God comes and he's cleaning up after the great battle and building a city. 
with his hands in this world, right? In the resurrection, right? God redeems the physical. He redeems the dirt in us and the dirt of this world, all right? So it's just very, very uh, different ideas. It, it, we, we can't forget this, okay? You ever, you ever just stop and think about the fact that Jesus was a carpenter? That God's one son, divinity with flesh on, swung a hammer for most of his life. All right, here, here's, a, here's a question for you. Do you think that Jesus' first 30 years were less obedient and less worshipful than the last couple years of his life? Right, I don't think so. Right, in the Bible we find a God who says all work has dignity. Right, there is no hierarchy. More important work, less important work, all of it has value uh, in, in God's eyes. Right, unless you are riding on the back of human oppression, right, unless you're in the human trafficking business and doing something that is just overtly horrible and, and oppresses people, your work matters to God. Right, whether you are a teacher or a student, right, whether you're the school principal or the custodian, right, whether you are a graphic designer, a lawyer, a busboy, a waitress, an artist, an engineer, a writer, right, even if you're a pastor, even pastors matter to God. Right, your work matters. This is so big, and we got to get it, that what you do, 40% of your life, it matters to God. It has dignity. It has value. Right, another nuance of this that, that Paul points us to here that we've got to get is that what we do with our hands, our work is interconnected to our call to love people. Right, our, our, our work is a part of that. Right, and so if you remember, Jesus said that the entire Bible can be summed up. All of it can be summed up in two commands, right? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Paul here connects, right, our loving, our neighbor as ourself, loving people to what we actually do. So in the English translation, if you can put up 1 Thessalonians 4 again, uh, go to the first one there. In the English translation, Right, some of the people who translate the Bible, um, they, they often will edit it at times to make it more grammatically correct. Right? And so what they did here is they added a, a period. So it looks like, like Paul starts talking about love. Right? He says, now, about your love for one another. Right? You need to love one another. And you do love all of God's family, yet do it more and more. He starts out talking about love, then there's a period. And then he talks about work. And it can look like two very disconnected ideas, but you've got to understand in the original Greek, that's one sentence. Those are connected ideas. Literally, so literally what Paul is saying here, he said, you know, you understand some things about loving people, but if you really want to love people well, what do you need to do? You need to get to work. But they're not completely separate. Um, let me say this. The reason he says this, and we get kind of a hint of this, this is all over the Bible, but he gives us a hint in, the, in verse 12. He says, right, work, 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 right? Love, love, work, work, why? He says, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody, right? The Christian idea of what it means to follow Jesus and honor God with one's life means that we are a people, right? A Christian is somebody who doesn't want to just drain from the common good, but somebody who actually contributes to the common good, right? Somebody who is creating opportunities, uh, for love and, and for people's needs to be met rather than constantly taking from that which is provided by 
by the common good, by other people. Right now, I grew up in a family where we didn't have a lot of money. And when my dad started out in ministry, uh, he had four kids, made about $20,000 a year. And so we were on food stamps early on. Right? And so you got to know, many of us find ourselves in situations where we need help. And that's okay. Right? What Paul is not doing here is shaming those who legitimately need help and reach out for it. Right? There's a big difference, and I think you would agree with me, there's a very big difference between not being uh, able to work and provide for oneself and not being willing to work and provide for oneself. Big difference. Paul's not shaming people who need help. Um, Paul is saying, look, as much as it depends on you, work with your hands. Why? So you're not dependent on other people. Why? Well, so you can give. Right? So you can contribute. So that you can love. So that you can be a part of bringing justice. One of, one of the greatest uh, downfalls of just this American church thing that, that all of us are, are a part of, the fact that you're here, you're kind of a part of it, is that we have come to understood when it comes to faith and spiritual matters that it's, it's not just a personal thing, it's a private thing, right? It's the reason we can walk in in a space like this on Sunday morning and not really like deeply interact with a lot of people. Maybe we don't see anybody from Mosaic the rest of the week, um, listen to a sermon, sing some songs, go home, and still call Mosaic home. And to us, that's not strange, that's not weird, because to us, when it comes to spirituality, it's like an us and God thing. You know what I mean? And this affects the way that we read the Bible. So when we read the Bible and it says, you know, it talks about being righteous, and it says we should be righteous. I think for us, our temptation is what we read through that is like a private morality, right? We read, don't cheat on your wife, don't steal, read your Bible, go to church. And while that may be part of it, that, that's not what the Bible means when it says righteous or when it talks about justice or being just, right? Those are connected ideas. This is... Um, <clears throat> Um, Bruce, Bruce Walke, he, uh, he's a famous scholar. I am not smart enough to have heard of him prior to doing my study for this message, but apparently he's a big deal. And he studies the Bible, and he studied the Bible, the entire Bible, and looking at this idea of righteousness and what it means to live justly. He says they're connected, and this is what he has to say, summing it all up. He says, in the Bible, right, the just or the righteous, they are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves for the good and the advantage of the community, right? The unjust, the unrighteous are those who are willing to disadvantage the community, right? To advantage me, right? Myself, right? He goes on to say that being righteous or being just, right? It's not just not lying, not committing adultery and these different things. That's, that's part of it, but it's also much bigger than that. And it has, we have a responsibility as Christians, as humans to look out for one another. Right, Proverbs uh, 3.27 says this. It says, do not withhold good when it's in your power to act. Do not withhold good when it's in your power to act, all right? And so a Christian, somebody who, who is seeking to honor God with their life, they live in a constant recognition, right, that we are not on an island, that we are not just individuals, but that we are a part of humanity, right, that we are a part of a larger human community, right, and that a just person, a righteous person, views everything that they have, their resources, their work, their job, as belonging to the community. A wicked person, an unrighteous person, an unjust person, looks at their resources, their work, their stuff, and say, it's mine. You tracking with me? Does that make sense? 
Um, totally forgot where I was going with this one. Okay, so yeah, fleshing this out just a little bit. So this is what this means, right? A righteous person, a just person, a godly person. Um, to be righteous, or r- lack righteousness, rather, would be when you have the ability, when we have the ability to help feed the poor, and we choose not to. Right? A, a lack of righteousness, unjustness, would be when I'm so caught up with my busy life to look in that I don't look in on my, my elderly neighbors. That makes sense? Right? A, a lack of justice and unrighteous living would be if I own a business and I take so much income out of that business to pad my pockets to the point that I no longer take care of my employees. Right? When it comes to living justly and being righteous, right, there is this connection to our relationship with other people, how we treat them. And this has, I think this has huge implications for us in our work. Right? Not, not only in how we work, but even the kinds of jobs that we choose to take as Christians. Right? And, and so when we weigh whether to stay in a job or whether to take a job, right, we don't just ask questions like, does this make me a lot of money? Right? Does this give me the status that I desire? Right? Is this, is this the next step in my career path? None of those are bad. Right? But as a Christian, I ask other questions first that take supremacy. They're, fir- they're, they're more important than those questions. As Christians, our questions sound a lot more like, you know, does this position me to be able to better take care of other people? Right? Does this empower me to look out for my city and my community more than the other job? Right? Does this allow me um, to love, love my neighbor uh, as myself? Right, so as, uh, all that to say, right, as we follow Jesus and we begin to feel what Jesus feels right, and we begin to care about what Jesus cares about, we as Christians don't become more private-minded. We become more public-minded. Right? We become more civic-minded. We become people who are incredibly passionate, not just about some disconnected, far-off ideas or world, you know, that which is not physical. We become a people who are very passionate about our neighbors, very passionate about our city, very passionate about our world, right? This is why Paul, the very next thing that he does is he does what Jesus often did and what the New Testament does over and over and over again. And he points them to remember that Jesus is coming back, that a day is coming when Jesus is going to write all of this, that God is not done, the story is not over, right? And in fact, this is so important that the New Testament actually talks about Jesus' second coming like 300 sometimes, it's like one in every 13 verses are about Jesus coming back. Right? And I think sometimes we're a little hesitant to talk and think a whole lot about that or talk about it. Because uh, maybe if you're like me, when I think about the end uh, and talking about the end, I think about those guys when I drive into Denver or Kansas City or Minneapolis downtown, right? And they look just disheveled and they've got a j- big sign, you know, that says the end is near. Right? Nobody wants to be that guy. Right? And they always look like they're unkempt and they don't shave and you kind of get the feeling that, well, of course they don't take care of themselves. They don't care about themselves or this world because they think it's going to end at any moment. Right? But when the New Testament does this, when Paul or Jesus, when they keep pointing to, look, God's not done with this thing. He's coming back. Jesus is going to return. It's never to get us to speculate about how or when that might happen. If you remember... Jesus even said when he was on this earth, even while he was on this earth, he didn't know when he was coming back. Now, it's never to get us speculating about stuff like that. It's always, always, if you read it, it's always about getting people passionate about living now. 
right, to get them passionate about, about living on purpose right now, right, about living generously now, right, about working towards justice now, about honoring God with our lives and with our work uh, right now. Okay, so tangibly, to do that, to begin to do that, every single one of us, we've, we've got to make a choice. And it's not a choice you make once. It's actually a choice that we've got to make every single day. Right? And it is important that we understand work's not inherently evil, that your work matters to God. Right? There's dignity in what you do. It matters to Him. It's important to understand that what we do is connected to our ability to love others and contribute to the common good, to work for justice. But ultimately, we've got to choose who we're going to work for. Right? Are we going to work for men or what men can give us? Or are we going to work for God? Right? Are we going to work for the job or what the job of career can provide us with? Right? Or are we going to work for God? Col- Colossians 3.23 says this. And he was writing to people who had a really sucky job. And this is what he says. He says, whatever you do, do it with, work at it with all your heart. Working for the Lord right? and not for human masters. Right, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. There's verses like this all over the Bible, by the way. It says, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, or wherever you work, or whatever the nature of your work is, do it for the glory of God. Here's the thing. If you work for people, or the job, or what the job can provide you with, ultimately, you're either going to idolize your work, or you're going to demonize your work. Right, people, you're either going to look at your job and give it too much importance, or not enough importance, right? People who idolize it are pretty easy to spot, right? They're, con- they're, they're workaholics, right? They cons- they're just consumed with their performance, right? They're just railed oftentimes with anxiety about the job all the time, right? They work and work and work, and it eats them up. Nothing wrong with working hard, but this is something different, right? They're consumed by it. I've been there. Uh, at times, I've, I've lived that. Uh, I have a tendency to be that person, all right, but men and things make very poor masters. You hear what I'm saying? God invites those of us who are Christians to, to live a different story. Right, a story, ultimately, that's not authored by us, it's not sustained by us, and where we don't start. Right? You, you, ever feel like, you ever feel like you're not accomplishing enough in this life? Right? And this could be connected to your faith or not. You ever just feel like, man... I'm not, I'm not doing enough. I'm not accomplishing enough. Um, I, had, I had big plans for my life. Um, if you know me, I tend to be, I live in the future in my mind. And, and I get, consi- I'm kind of an idealist in some ways. And I see this vision of what could be, and it drives me to do everything that I do. Um, but oftentimes the vision doesn't get fleshed out perfectly, and some of my goals are not met. And, and it, can, it's, it can be pretty discouraging, right? So when I turned 30, 30 was a hard birthday for me. It was. Uh, because I was supposed to change the world by the time I was 25. You know what I mean? Writing books and starting organizations and all types of stuff. And then I turned 30 and I looked behind me and I was bummed. You know, I was like, what am I doing? Um, I, what ends up happening? So what ends up happening when you idolize a job um, or you live in that place is you end up bouncing oftentimes back and forth between idealism and cynicism. And you find yourself landing in, in a really dark and hopeless place. Right? But when we choose to work for God, here's the thing. When we choose to work for God, day in, day out, not perfectly, but making that choice, 
rather than for men, right, even the most menial tasks, can, we can find purpose in them and, and, and hope that, that we're not the end of the story, but that we get to play a role and be a part of a much larger story. All right, so, so J.R. Tolkien, when he was writing The Lord of the Rings, he got writer's block in the middle of it. Right, his, his monumental work that we're all familiar with uh, that has just gone global and continues to be told and retold. He got writer's block. He couldn't bring the story to an end, and he was just stuck. And so he tells a story about in the middle of it, one of the things that he did is he wrote a short story. Uh, and it was called, um, get the name right, Leaf by Niggle is the name of the short story. And it's about an artist in a small town. And the small town has this kind of town center, and they've got this giant brick wall on the side of one building right at the town center, and they commission the artist, they commission Niggle to paint a mural on that wall. Right, and so they hire him, and he gets to work, and he starts just working on this to the best of his ability. And weeks go by, and months go by, and then years go by, and people are walking by, and they can see that he means to paint a tree, but all he's been able to accomplish is one little leaf. Right, and so people start to berate him. And they're like, what are you doing? We paid you all this money. Paint the tree already. Right, and Niggle says, I'm trying. I'm working my hardest. I'm doing my best, but I just can't seem to cap capture it. And he's got one little leaf, and then in the story, he dies. And on the other side, he's, he's on a train on his way to heaven, and he sees something out of the corner of his eye, and he looks, and he sees at the window his tree. In all of its fullness, he sees all the leaves opening up, right, the trunk and the branches bending the wind, right, and he exclaims, that's, that's my tree. And he see, uh, it's, it's everything that I could imagine and picture, uh, but I never could quite capture. Right, so here you've got this artist, and he can envision a tree, but in his lifetime, all he can really squeeze out is one leaf. Um, that's, honestly, that, that's us in many ways. Right, and if you don't get that you're a part of a larger story, and that your work matters, but you may only ever produce a leaf, you're going to find yourself potentially very burnt out and very disillusioned. We've got a lot of young people who are part of this church. All right, so let's say that you go into to city planning because you have this vision of what a great city is and what it could be. Right, well, you can find yourself years down the road very disillusioned when that city, that full city, never really becomes a reality. If you don't realize that, you know what, a great city does exist. But it's not fully going to be realized, right, until Jesus comes back, until the new Jerusalem, the city of God, is built here on this earth. Right, we have to have a larger vision. So let's say you go into law. You go into law because you're passionate about justice. And you want to see justice fleshed out here and now. Right, but you don't understand. You may only turn out a leaf in your lifetime. And so you find yourself burnt out and disillusioned when you find that so much of your job is working for them for, through the minutiae. And sometimes the system fails us. Right, Stacy. <laughs> Sometimes the system fails us. Right, and you can find yourself very hurt and disillusioned, wondering, does my life ever, does it really matter? Does my work matter? Right, and the Bible says it does. Right, but you may only get to contribute a leaf. But it's important that you realize you still get to contribute a leaf. All right, so as we wrap up, any Dead Poet Society fans in this room. Come on, you can get your hands up. My People after my own heart. One of my favorite films of all time. I love Dead Poet Society. I think it was the first DVD I ever bought. Um, in Dead Poet Society, if you remember, Robin Williams is a teacher, 
And there's one particular scene where he huddles all the guys up, and he's speaking to them about this life and the role that they had to play. And he, and he quotes a poem by Walt Whitman. And apparently Apple also loved this scene, because if you watch TV a lot, you've probably seen there's an Apple commercial where they take the audio from this scene in the movie, uh, and, and they make a commercial. And so uh, as we wrap up, I want to show that to you real quick. don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. Medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. Open Whitman, oh me, oh life of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish. What good amid these, oh me, oh life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists, and identity. That the powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. Powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. What will your verse be? The series brought to you by Apple. <laughs> they should pay us. Uh, I don't know uh, exactly what Walt Whitman was thinking when he penned those words, but I do wonder if he had any idea just how biblical what he was proposing was. Right, that the powerful play goes on and you will contribute a verse. Right, God invites you to contribute a verse. And you've got to decide what that verse will be. Are you okay with knowing that you may only get to contribute a verse? Um, that the powerful play goes on and that it's a story that ultimately is not about you. Are you okay knowing that in your lifetime you may you may only get to paint a leaf, right? But it's a large it's a it's a small part of a much larger portrait that God is painting, that God is creating, and that your job is to paint that leaf to the best of your ability, right? In a way that honors God and serves. Ultimately, the answers to those questions are going to hinge on who you choose to work for, God or men, right? the job or what the job affords you or your creator. And nobody else, nobody else can answer that question but you. Lord God, I, I just speak against and I pray against that voice in our head that tells us that our work has no value. That our work is not important because you say that it is. 
no matter our job, no matter our role or where we find ourselves, there's a way to work that honors you and serves the common good. Lord God, we, we ask that you give us eyes, give us eyes to see the needs that exist all around us already. Give us hearts that break for what breaks your heart. Help us to care about what you care about. To see the needs that exist in our own neighborhood, in our own workplace, and the courage to begin to step into those needs, knowing that we may not be able to meet all of them, but we do get to contribute a verse. We do get to paint a leaf. And so God, we ask that you would take that, the little that we can actually do, and multiply it and use it in a way that honors you and changes our city. Lord God, may your will be done, may your kingdom come in Lincoln as it is in heaven. eyes to see and hearts that believe.